Amen. So we'll go ahead and start with some questions that we had from last week. We had quite a few questions, so um, thank you guys for being open enough to, to share those. Um, some of them I won't address tonight because I'm already planning on um, going over them, talking about them over the next few weeks. So um, just hold tight. If you had a question and I don't get to it tonight, more than likely we'll get to it before the, the end of the class. Um, so the first question we had was, if I could print outlines for note-taking. Great question, great idea. Uh, only problem is I don't really have um, a way to print right now. So um, what I would tell you is that if you ever miss anything or um, maybe I'm talking too fast, you need me to repeat it or slow down, just let me know. I'm happy to do that. Um, I had a couple of people last week come up to me after class just to go over a couple of things that they had missed. So feel free to do that as well if, if you miss anything. Um, and I'm happy to even send you my notes too. So um, that's definitely an option. I had another question about um, holiness standards. That one didn't have a name, um, but what I would say is that's not something I'll be going over specifically in this class, but feel free to come up to me after class or maybe come see me before service Sunday or after service tonight, um, and we could definitely talk about that. Um, you can also see Pastor or Sister Molly. Of course, they would be great resources for you as well. Um, and then our church has actually started a podcast. I'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, you have the option to go on and actually listen to Brother Dan's class about holiness as well. So if that's something that you're interested in, um, that's certainly an option. And I'll tell you um, how to get to that a little bit later. Um, I had a question. What's an easy way to know the books of the Bible um, to be able to find them easier? Um, the way I actually learned the books of the Bible was from a song, from a kid's song. Um, highly recommend. <laughs> uh, I won't be singing tonight, but thank you, Brother Jordan. <laughs> but I will tell you that if you go on YouTube, search online, I'm sure you can find a lot of different options. Um, people are cool. People are a lot more creative than I am. Um, and I'm sure, you know, the Internet is a great resource. You'll find all sorts of creative ways to memorize um, not only books of the Bible, but all kinds of stuff. So I learned from a kid's song. I recommend it. It made it very easy. Um, when I'm flipping through my Bible today, I still sing it in my head, like, where, where is this book at? So that, that's a good option. Um, if you haven't memorized the order of the books of the Bible, I definitely encourage you to do that. It will make things a lot easier for you in church when they reference the scripture and maybe the screens aren't working. Amen? Amen. I had someone ask, are you allowed to record sessions? My answer is absolutely. Um, if you want to do that, you certainly can. Um, as I mentioned, Brother Bryce has started a podcast for the church, which let's just give him a hand clap because that's awesome. Um, that's something that I've wanted uh, for a long time. So if you don't know what a podcast is, it's basically an audio recording of our services. So um, if you, I don't know if anyone knows what Spotify is, 
But if you have it and you search our church name, you'll find audio recordings of our recent services. And that includes these classes. So my class from last week is on there. Brother Dan's from last week is on there. Um, it's an awesome thing to do when you're driving in the car on the way to work to just have that there um, to be able to listen. So if you want to record me tonight, you're certainly, you know, um, able to do that, but if you want to just get on Spotify later and look it up, I'm sure Brother Bryce will hook us up. Um, and again, I encourage you to listen to Brother Dan's class. Unfortunately, we can't all be two places at once, but that's a way for you to get what they're learning in that class as well. And then finally, um, I had a question. How do you find new people to give a Bible study to? That is a fantastic question. Um, I think it's a question we all ask ourselves at one point or another. And my answer is pretty simple. Um, my answer would be to just be open. Just be open. Um, a lot of times we go through our day-to-day -day routines um, and miss out on a lot of open doors and a lot of opportunities that God gives us, a lot of witnessing opportunities um, because we're not looking for them. We don't have it on our mind. Uh, but the truth is that if I'm in prayer and if I'm in tune with the Spirit, that the Lord will send people to me. And I found that to be true. The question is just, am I opening myself up to that? Um, so, you know, instead of waking up on Monday morning and being like, ah, oh, got to go to work, I got to go grocery shopping, I got to go to school, or I got to do these errands, why don't we wake up and say, thank you, Jesus, I'm going to my mission field today. Thank you, Lord, I'm going to my mission field today. I'm not going to work, I'm going to my mission field. I'm not going to just collect a paycheck, I'm going to win somebody to the Lord, amen? And that mindset will change things for us. You'll be amazed how much of a difference it makes to just be observant and just be mindful of your ultimate mission because that is our mission, amen? Amen. Just to give you a personal story, um, there was a time a little over a year ago where I was really praying that God would start using me in my workplace. That was my constant prayer. You know, God, use me. Use me to reach somebody. Um, and after a while, the Lord just started bringing to mind so many opportunities that I had missed because I just wasn't looking at them as opportunities. And that's because I was distracted by so many things, right? If you're at work, more than likely, you're focused on work. If you're in the grocery store, more than likely, you're focused on your groceries, right? It's so easy to be distracted. Um, and the Lord had opened my eyes to the fact that, hey, I've been giving you these opportunities, but you're just not seeing them for what they are. Um, and so it wasn't long after that that me and some of my coworkers got to talking, and I was able to testify a little bit. Um, and later, one of them actually approached me and literally asked me to give them a Bible study. I didn't even have to say, do you want a Bible study? They approached me and asked. And that's an opportunity I think I really would have missed if I hadn't have been in that mindset, you know. Um, I was at, God opened the door for me to teach her the plan of salvation in one of our meeting rooms at work on my lunch break, Amen. That, that's the kind of thing that will happen when you have that mindset. Um, and then actually something just recently. So when I'm at work, I take a lot of phone calls. So I usually have my sister Shelly is laughing at me. I don't take as many phone calls as I did my last job. But I take a lot of phone calls. 
So I have my earpiece, you know, for my work calls in one ear. And then I usually have an AirPod in the other ear. Because when I'm working, I like to listen to music, listen to podcasts. It makes the day go by a lot faster, right? There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but the Lord actually started convicting me about it. Because what I found is that I was really shutting myself out of the world that was going on around me. So I was there with my coworkers, but I wasn't really having a connection with them. So it was the weirdest thing, but God started convicting me about wearing my AirPods. I'm like, God, I'm listening to gospel music, you know, let, let me wear my AirPods. But he started convicting me. And so um, once I listened and every once in a while started taking them out, I was able to speak to one of my agnostic coworkers about my testimony. You know, and she was telling me, I don't know if I believe in God or maybe I'm an atheist. And God opened the door for me to tell her, you know, listen, I used to be an atheist, but Jesus changed my life. Jesus changed my life. And again, that's an opportunity I would have completely missed if I had still been distracted and in my own little world. So my answer to that question is, you know, if you go to work, if you go do whatever it is that you're doing with that mindset of this is a mission field, you know, God will really start opening the doors. Chances are he's been creeping those doors open, um, but we've just been missing them. So really be intentional. Have your eyes open, your ears open, and you'll be amazed what God will do. Amen? Amen. Okay. It says, Ye elves of hills, brooks, standing lakes and groves, and ye that on the sands with printless foot do chase the ebbing Neptune and do fly him when he comes back. You dimmy puppets that by moonshine do the green sour ringlets make, whereof the you not bites and you whose pastime is to make midnight mushrooms that rejoice to hear the solemn curfew, by whose aid, weak masters though ye be, I have bedimmed the noontime sun, called forth the mutinous winds. Where am I spot up here? Betwixt the green sea and the azure vault of roaring war to the dread rattling thunder. Thunder sea, I have given fire and rifted Joe's stout oak with his own bolt, the strong base promontory. Have I made shake and by the spurs plucked up the wine and cedar? Graves at my command have waked their sleepers, opt and let them forth by my so potent art. But this rough magic I here abjure, and when I've required some heavenly music, which even now I do, to mine to work mine end upon their senses that this airy charm is for. I'll break my staff, bury it certain fathoms in the earth, and deeper than did ever plummet sound, I'll drown my book. So can anyone tell me what this is saying? No one? Really? Raise your hand if you think this is difficult to understand. Pretty much everybody, right? Let me ask you this. Why do you think it's so difficult? Yes, part of it is it's cut off. <laughs> Brother Jordan? 
Brother Jordan says he doesn't talk like this. Does anyone talk like this? No? Why else do you think it might be difficult? Yeah, some of the verbiage, words people don't use anymore, right? Um, does anyone have a guess who the author is? I heard it a couple times. Shakespeare. Brother Rubio, can you click for me? Okay, this passage is from the final scene of Shakespeare's play, The Tempest. Um, you probably don't care what's going on here, but um, Prospero is basically talking about all this, these things that he's done and vowing to give up his power. So this is The Tempest by William Shakespeare. Any luck, Brother Rubio? Go ahead and click. So does anyone have a guess without Googling? Well, never mind, it's up there. <laughs> Ta-da! You can click. One time, okay. 1611, this is when Shakespeare wrote those exact words. Okay, can you click one more time for me? Any guesses when the King James Version of the Bible was published? 1592, that's a good guess. Close. Go ahead and click. 1611. Now, why would I bring this up? What does Shakespeare have to do with the Bible? Now, first of all, most of you, if not all of you, know that I was an English major, right? So I have studied Shakespeare extensively. I've read all of his plays. I know most of them backwards and forwards. But let me be the first to tell you that when I pulled up that quote from The Tempest, I was like, huh? What is like what does that say? Right? Even I cannot pick up Shakespeare, read straight through it, and understand what's going on. Does anyone else in here even like Shakespeare? I'm just curious. Okay, okay. A couple of us. Um so I enjoy reading his plays. I love them, right? But even I struggle with the text. Now, those of you who, most of you probably have at least read Shakespeare in school, right? Um, when we read it, we've got our footnotes, we've got our cliff notes, we've got our spark notes, we've got every kind of note we could ever need. We've got dictionaries, everything else we can find on hand to make sure that we understand it, right? And yet we think that we can pick up the King James Bible, which was published the exact same year is what we just read, the exact same time period, read straight through it with complete understanding. Does that seem a little backwards, right? Very few of us would just pick up Shakespeare and go to town without any other resources and, and try to understand it. But that's what we do a lot of times with our Bibles. Same time period, same type of language, right? Go ahead and go to the next slide, Brother Rubio. That's cut off a little bit. Um, so in addition to studying English in college, I also studied Spanish language. Um, I had to go through a lot of training in language and translation and interpretation to get the degree that I have. Um, and I feel like it does give me a very unique perspective to speak from when it comes to translation. 
um, and interpretation. So this little phrase here um, is a Spanish saying that completely changed the way that I thought about translation as a whole. Not just Bible translation, um, but translation and language in general. So forgive me, my Spanish is a little rusty. But it says, a caballo regalado no le mires al diente. Does anybody, is anybody familiar with this at all? No? Good. I thought Brother Josh was going to be here and I was going to be like, not you, you say nothing. <laughs> so this is a, a very popular um, phrase, very popular proverb in some Latin American countries. So I'll give you the literal translation. Now, the literal, a literal translation has all of the emphasis on text. It's just focused on what exactly do the words say, right? So the literal translation of this phrase is, at a gift horse, do not look at the teeth. At a gift horse, do not look at the teeth. Now to give that a little bit of modern language for you, go ahead and click, Brother Rubio. A more modern translation would be, don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Now, still, probably you're like, okay, like, you know, unless you know a little bit about horses, right? So, to give you a little context, back in the 15th and 16th century in Latin America, horses were a common gift. Um, and you may not know this, but horses' gums recede as they age. So, you can actually look at a horse's mouth and get a rough idea of its age based on the gums and the teeth. So if you lived in 1560, and it was your buddy's birthday, and you gave him a horse, and the first thing he did was go look in its mouth, you'd be offended because you'd know that this dude is trying to figure out if you gave him some old dumpy, mangled horse or if you gave him a nice, young, healthy horse, right? You'd be offended. You'd be like, man, that's my, I just gave you my horse, and you're examining it? You know, it, it would be offensive. Um, so with that in mind, now that you know the, the context, it helps us um, understand the figurative translation. Go ahead and, and click, Brother Rubio. So a figurative translation of this would be, be grateful for the gifts you receive. Bro, if I give you a horse, don't go looking at the gums, right? Just be grateful. I gave you a horse, right? <laughs> Amen. So you have a literal translation which focuses specifically on the words. It's going to translate directly from one language to another. And even that is a, sometimes a little bit difficult. Um, and then you have a figurative translation which focuses on the meaning. Right, So three types of translation, literal translation, modern translation, figurative translation. In other words, um, what does the text say, how would I say it today, and what does it mean? Good translation is all about a balance between these three things. Right, A lot of people think that literal is best, but literal is not always the best. Sometimes it's of no use to you. There has to be a balance. Because if I had come up to you before church tonight and said, hey, Jordan, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, he'd have been like, 
All right, sure, right? He would be lost. Why? Because there's a history, there's a whole history and a whole culture behind that phrase that he would have been unfamiliar with, right? So the literal translation would have been of no use to Jordan Marquis. But if I told him, walked up to him before church and said, hey, Jordan, be grateful. Have a thankful heart. He would have understood that, right? There has to be a balance between the literal and the figurative. Now, you can't just have a figurative translation either. When you just look at the meaning, a lot of times you lose the beauty of the original text. So it can't really be one or another. There has to be this perfect harmony between the two in order for it to be a useful translation. Again, why am I bringing this up? Why, what does this Spanish saying, this Spanish proverb, have to do with Bible translation? There's a misunderstanding that the best Bible translation means the most literal translation. And that's, not, that's simply not always the case. That's not always the case. Because as I've just pointed out to you, sometimes a literal translation of a text will make no sense to you. It will make no sense to you, and a figurative translation would be far more useful. It's all about balance. And this is what I meant last week when I told you that the King James Bible is not necessarily the best translation. I wasn't trying to offend anyone, but I wanted to make a point to you. Um, first and foremost, what you should know is that it is not the most literal Bible translation. So if anyone is, has told you that, I hate to be the one to tell you, but that's not the truth. It's not the most literal translation. Um, a little disclaimer here, I actually had to take classes in college on the Bible that required me to specifically study Bible translation. So I've read many, many translations, and I can tell you that the King James Version of the Bible is not the most direct and it is not the most literal version out there. So if that's the yardstick that you're using to determine the best translation, I've got to tell you that the King James falls short. It is not the most literal translation. Um, and let, let me take it a step further than that. Um, sometimes the KJV just gets it wrong when you examine it from our era today. Now, do not misunderstand me. God's word is infallible. God's word is perfect, but translation is not always perfect. And that includes the King James. It's not just the King James. If you were to take any translation of the Bible, there are going to be certain verses that just looking at it from a 2020 lens, I almost said 2019, but God, amen. Looking at it from our lens today, those translations are just going to fall short. So that's what I meant last week. I can't call the King James Version the best because there are both earlier translations and more literal translations of the Bible. Um, and you can fact check me on this. You don't have to take my word for it. Um, but for example, the New American Standard Bible is a more literal translation. Um, so I can't say it's the best quote because it's not the most literal but more importantly, and this is what I want to focus on, I can't say it's the best because most people simply do not understand it. 
Most people just don't understand it. Now, let me, I want to qualify again and again and again what I'm saying. Number one, I don't want to offend you. I don't want to step on your toes, but I'm trying to help you. Um, let me qualify. I'm not saying that King James is a bad translation. Let me say that again. I'm not saying that the King James Version is a bad translation. Am I saying that the King James Version is a bad translation? No. Good job. I'm not saying it's a bad translation, but what I am saying is that it may not be the best version for you. It may not be the best version for you. Now, I told you this last week. It's my preferred version. It's my go-to, but I'm a weirdo. I love Shakespeare. I love Ben Johnson. I love John Milton. You know, a lot of you, when you go to the bookstore, to the library, or you cozy up with a book at home, you're probably reading the newest New York Times bestseller, right? Not me. I'm reading the old stuff that no one else wants to read, right? So it makes sense for me, right? I've, this is what I've studied. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I have my college degree in. So the King James makes sense for me, but it may not be what makes sense for you, and that's okay. And that's what I want to get you to understand. It's okay if the King James Version is not the best for you. The reason I told you last week that, it's, that the KJV is not the best translation of the Bible is because I don't believe there is a one-size-fits-all best version for everybody ever. I don't believe that. Um, now, when I study my Bible, I usually start with the KJV, yes, but I read many, many, many translations, many, many, many versions of the same scripture. It makes sense for me to start with KJV because I genuinely enjoy that literary style. I love it. It's what I choose to read in my free time. But it may make more sense for you to start with the New King James or the New International Version or the New Living Translation or wh whatever it is. Um, so many of us have it in the back of our minds that it's a sin to read anything besides the KJV. And again, I'm, I'm truly, know my heart here. I'm not trying to be offensive, okay? I'm not trying to, to hurt you. And I mean all due respect for anybody who has told you that before. Um, but the, the fact is, you know, we have it in our mind that it's a sin to read anything but the KJV. So then we read the KJV and struggle to understand what we're reading. And that's a problem. See, I'm not sure where this idea that it's sin came from, and I don't mean any disrespect again, but I really think that idea in some ways has hurt us. It's pigeonholed us. Um, it, because I really believe that God cares less about the version that we're reading and more about whether we have an understanding of the word. It makes no sense to restrict yourself to a version that you struggle to understand. You can read the King James from cover to cover, but if you're not understanding what it's saying, what is, what is it profiting you, right? So that's all I'm trying to, to get you to see, all right? So if you're in here and you enjoy King James, you're like, that's what I'm used to. I don't struggle to understand it. I like the language. Good for you. That's great. You keep doing that. But I want everybody to understand that it's okay. You don't have to be afraid 
to supplement your study with other versions of the Bible. It's okay. As long as a translation is still faithful to the meaning and the intent of the original text, it's okay. Now, you, I'm not going to tell you this is the version of the Bible you should read. I will never tell you that because I truly think it depends on the person, right? I'm not going to tell you that. You have to decide your preferences for yourself. You have to know how to compare that to the original text, to the Greek and the Hebrew, and to determine, is this a good translation, right? I don't think anyone should tell you that. I think you should have the resources to determine that, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. So now that that very long blurb is out of the way, um, let's get into the nitty-gritty. Brother Rubio, if you'll go to the next slide um, and look at hermeneutics as a whole. So hermeneutics is simply, basically, the study of biblical translation and interpretation. Now you could, I mean, there are whole college classes, I mean, you can major in hermeneutics. So I'm not going to get too deep, but I do want to give you um, some basics here. I want to give you six steps to follow when you're trying to translate and interpret the Bible. Six things that you're going to want to know each time that you study scripture. If you click for me. Number one, who said this? Who said this? Who's the author? Who wrote it? Who were they? What did they do? What kind of job did they have? Why did they write it? Was it something, you know, where they were just preserving historical records? Or, you know, if, if it was David, was it a testimony or poetry? Or was it something like Paul who was writing and giving instruction to the churches? Right? What kind of style do they write with? Is it a poetry book? Is it a prophecy book? Those are the kind, kinds of things that you're going to want to know. Who said this? Who wrote it? Number two, when did they say it? What time frame was this written in? More importantly, what sort of things were happening back then? Was this a time where they were in captivity? Was this a time of victory? Was this a time of defeat? What was their culture like at the time? What sort of traditions did they have that might help me understand what they're saying? What does the text say? Literally, what does the text say, or exegesis is the word for that? So besides just the original translation, what did the original text say? What did the Hebrew say? What did the Greek say? What does each word mean? Is there a word or a phrase that's unfamiliar to me that maybe I need to dig into a little bit, that maybe I need a little context for? What does it mean? Now that I know what it says, now that I know what the words are, what does it mean? What is the interpretation? Does this word or phrase have a different meaning than what the translation is telling me? I know the literal meaning, but is there a figurative meaning, right? Is there an overall lesson or a parable to be learned here? Next, how do I know that's what it means? It's very easy for us to read something and be like, oh, yeah, that's what it means, right? 
But we need to check ourselves. How do I know that's what it means? Are there valid sources that back up my interpretation of the text? What do scholars say, right? Chances are, if you can't find anything to back it up, it's probably incorrect, right? So going along with that, do I need to reevaluate my interpretation based on the facts? So how do I know what it means? And finally, now that I know what it means, so what? I know what it says, I know what it means, but how does it apply to me today? Is this something that the author was writing specifically to those people of that time, or is this something that applies to me? What can I learn from this? How do I put this into practice? So you need to know the author, the era, what the text says, or exegesis, interpretation, validation, and application. Those are the steps you should always go through when you're reading your Bible. Um, and today, really quickly, hopefully, we're just going to focus on those two. And actually, I, I messed that up, so forget the second one. We're going to focus on exegesis and interpretation. So what does the text say, and what does it mean? So let's talk a little bit about exegesis. So exegesis is just the literal translation of biblical text. It's looking to the text for answers, okay? Now, I told you earlier that I don't believe there's a one-size-fits-all translation of the Bible, and that's because, hold on to your, your hats here, in my opinion, the best, the best version of the Bible is the Greek and Hebrew version. Very simply, best version of the Bible is the Greek and the Hebrew, the original text and all its glory. Um, if you don't know, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament was written in Greek. So you're probably looking at me like, you know, I got to tell you, my ancient Greek is a little rusty. You know, it's not what it used to be. My Hebrew's a little off, you know, and, you know, a.k.a. I speak English. What on earth, how on earth do you expect me to know what the original Bible says, right? And I've got a solution for you. Brother Rubio, if you want to click here. The most powerful, essential tool that you need by your side when studying scripture is a concordance. And not just any concordance, the Strong's exhaustive concordance of the Bible. Now, if you want, you can go out and buy a physical copy of Strong's concordance. Some of you might even have one at home. And that's totally fine if that's what you prefer. But there's also a very cool and a very free, hallelujah, electronic version of Strong's Concordance found in Blue Letter Bible. Um, and that's what I'm going to talk about and show you today. So I'm going to go a little bit through the Blue Letter Bible, um, but the same principles apply to the actual physical copy if you pick, pick up a copy of the Strong's Concordance. Um, so if you didn't do this last week and you have a phone that lets you download apps, I strongly encourage you to go to your app store and download the Blue Letter Bible app. Um, if you're like me and your service is terrible in here, thanks Sprint, and you can't download it, you can actually, um, or maybe you don't have the ability to download apps, they actually have a website as well. It's just blueletterbible.com. Um, so you can still access all the resources, whether it's on the web or on your app. So what Strong's Concordance does is it takes every word in the Bible, 
every word in the Bible, and it breaks down essentially every single word or one word phrase in the Hebrew, and every single word or one word phrase in the Greek, and assigns a number to it. Very simple. It takes every word, every phrase, and assigns a number. So no matter what version of the Bible you're looking at, if you run across a word or a phrase that you don't understand, or maybe you just want a little more information on it, all you have to do is figure out that Strong's number, and you can look that information up. Very simple. That is awesome. That is awesome. Such a powerful tool. Um, so I'm going to go ahead, and we'll kind of end with an example tonight. So go ahead and click, Brother Rubio. So let's look at Matthew 19 and 14. Matthew 19 and 14. And if you want to, if you have the app and you want to go ahead and pull it up, feel free to do so. Matthew 19, 14. Um, the King, this is the King James translation. And it says, but Jesus said, suffer little children and forbid them not to come unto me for us of such is the kingdom of heaven. So, hmm. Now, I pretty much get the second half of that scripture, right? But Jesus said, suffer little children. I want you to think for a second about what suffer means in 2020, right? So I'm reading this, and that just it doesn't, seem, that doesn't seem right. I can't believe that Jesus was saying, suffer little children, the way we would say it in 2020, right? So go ahead and click, Brother Rubio. You can click one more time. So the reason I love the Blue Letter Bible app and website is that you can very quickly find the scripture that you want. Go ahead and click again. So if you're in the app, you could just click right up there. Go ahead and click, Brother. And that will bring you to all the Old and New Testament books. So if I select Matthew... And then select chapter 19. You can go to the next slide. That's going to bring up the actual text for me. So it has the full text right there so I can read through it. So if you prefer to just use this as your Bible reading app, you can absolutely do that. Um, one thing, really quick, is kind of a side note that I'll show you, is down in the bottom right, there's a little setting icon. It looks like a gear. So if you're ever wanting other translations, you can download them right from that settings menu. Um, but let's say, you know, I go to this scripture, the one I'm confused about that says suffer little children, and it's hard to tell on the screen, but what that is circled on the left there is the actual verse number. So if I click on that verse number, it brings me to a menu that has all of these different resources that I can access. And we'll talk about a lot of those over the next two weeks. But for now, I want to know what does the original text say, right? So I'm going to click on the concordance there at the top. And then that will bring me, um, as you can see, to this breakdown of the scripture. And so that breaks each part of the scripture up into sections based on that Strong's number based on the specific Greek or Hebrew word that is being used there. So you can see there's literally, they have the word for but there, for Jesus, for said, 
right? So every word or phrase that you want that you could ever need to know, you can find in this breakdown. So if I go to suffer there and I click on that Strong's number, go ahead and go to the next slide there, it will bring up a list here that gives me all of the definitions, all the possible definitions of this word. Um, so it gives all the ways that this one word, this one specific Greek word is used in Scripture. All the different definitions. So I know this is a little hard to read, but you know, skim through, skim through all these different definitions. And I see that the second definition there, second way it's used, is it says to permit, to allow, or not to hinder. That seems to make a little more sense, right? So if I use that definition, then what Jesus was actually saying in that scripture wasn't suffer little children. It was allow little children and forbid them not to come unto me, right? That makes a little more sense. Or don't hinder little children and forbid them not to come unto me. Right? Does everybody agree that makes a little more sense? So that's how, how you would use this. Um, so just to, to give you a little clarification, what's likely going on here as far as the King James is concerned is that this phrase that they use, suffer little children, probably had a completely different meaning back in 1611. Right? It's not that King James, the King James scholars were trying to give false doctrine, okay? It's not that they were being intentionally misleading. It's simply a matter of the era in which the translators were working. This was 400 years ago, over 400 years ago, right? So the language that they used back then is a lot different than what we use today. So just for kicks and giggles, um, I don't have any more slides, but let's see what the New King James Version of, of that says, what that translation says. That was Matthew 19, 14. So the New King James Version says, But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Does everybody agree that for that specific verse, the New King James probably had a better translation? I would say yes, right? And, and that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give you tools so that you yourself, when you're reading, can figure out literally what does the Greek say? What does the Hebrew say? How do I know that this translation is right? How do I know it's conveying what God meant to convey? And this is how. Um, and I mentioned this, but if you have a, a printed concordance, the same principle applies. You can still use that find the Strong's number, and look up what the original text actually said. That is the most powerful tool that you can have when studying Scripture. Um, so now I, I also want to give another disclaimer that this is a translation-wide problem. This is not just a King James problem because I can pull other verses where the King James does a lot better at translating than the New King James does. 
right, there are always going to be those nuances because all these translations have spanned hundreds of years. I mean, think of it this way. If you were to, to tell me five years ago, if you were to come up to me and say, man, the sanctuary at your church is lit, I would think, oh, it's a, it's a well-lit establishment, right? But anybody who has kids or grandkids has probably heard them say that as slang, right? And that's in a period of five years where this one word has a completely different meaning than it did five years ago, right? There are things some of you said in the 70s or 80s or 60s that if you said now, all the youngins would be like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? So meanings change, and it's not, sometimes we have this idea that, you know, these other translations, they're trying to push false doctrine or, you know, just all of these things, and that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes it's just a matter of the time frame that they were working in, right? Um, so translation is not an exact science, and when you add centuries of time on top of that, things get a lot murkier, a lot more confusing. The only way to combat that is to do exactly what I've showed you tonight, is to go back to the original text, to the original language, and figure out exactly what does this mean? What does this say? Um, so that's all I have for, for you tonight. Um, I just wanted to give you a really quick overview into exegesis and the Strong's Concordance, but we will look at them a little bit more next week. Because my goal is to make sure that you're comfortable with these things, right? Um, so I can't stress enough how important this tool is and how much it will help you in your study time. I literally never, and I mean never, crack open my Bible without utilizing these resources. Um, because I always want to feel for the original text. Does anyone have any questions? I know I just dumped a lot on you, but any any questions for now, Brother Jordan? So here's, here's my opinion. Now, I'm not going to lie to you and say that I never just read Scripture to read Scripture, but I do think that when we do that, we're doing ourselves a disservice because a lot of times we may skim through a Scripture and we're like, We've got it, right? I know what this means. But, you know, if you go back to those six steps that I mentioned, one of those steps, if you're really trying to understand the word, is asking yourself, well, how do I know what this means, right? It's going to require you to go deeper. So, I mean, you can kind of read for, for pleasure and just skim, but just know that there are times where you're doing that where you're not actually getting the real meaning of Scripture, um, especially with verse of the day, sometimes I'll read that, but then I almost always go into the full chapter because I want to know the context, too. Um, as far as the translation, I would say find what works for you. If you, I want you to hear me, if you do not understand the King James Version of the Bible, if you open the King James and you struggle to get through it, and maybe you do get through it and you don't understand what it's saying, it may not be the best version for you. Supplement that with other versions. Go back to the, you know, when you're doing that, when you're finding, testing out these other versions, go back to the Greek. Go back to the Hebrew. Make sure that they're lining up with what you're reading and that you're getting 
a true meaning and a true feel for what the scripture is trying to tell you. Did I answer your question? Okay. Anybody else? Going once, going twice. All right. So if everyone can just come, even if you didn't write a question down, just come and put your card face down up here. Um, next week we'll get a little bit, um, we'll talk about concordances again, and then we'll start talking about how to research and get historical context. So thank you for coming. Um, if you missed anything or need me to repeat anything, just come see me.